Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, you are holy and you are all powerful and you are amazing to us. You are unlike any other. Father, we thank you for your words and the Bible, the scriptures that guide us. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ as the Word, born in the flesh, who guides us and instructs us and leads us by his example. Father, as we know the gospel and take it to heart and live by it, Father, give us the courage and the strength. Bless us, Father, to never be ashamed of the truth. Father, bless us to be able to defend the truth, to be able to stand up and to share the gospel with others. We ask your blessings upon our study right now, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You have your bulletin, you can follow along. So we'll do an exposition from Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. And our scripture reading gives a little bit of a hint to it. I'm going to tie that in as well as we get into these pages. I have an interesting question for you to start our study uh, for this morning. Are you ashamed of any friends or family? Don't look down the pew. Uh, But, uh, you know, you got those members of your family who often like to embarrass you or to point you out and things like that. And uh, I can think of a few right now. But I wouldn't say I'm ashamed of them, though. I, I don't feel... I'm degraded by them or anything like that. But you might have the black sheep in the family. You might be the black sheep. I don't know. Um, uh, You might know a little bit about that feeling of of being ashamed. Um, We have this amazing passage in Romans that uh, teaches us not to be ashamed. We cannot, as Christians, be ashamed of our Father in heaven or of Christ and of the gospel. But I know that this takes place. I know that this happens. And uh, we, we cannot think of uh, Jesus as that, you know, that holy figure or that, uh, that uh, black sheep in the family that we kind of want to ignore and put aside because uh, we can't live up to him or we can't speak about him or the world tells us to be quiet about him. So as you, know, you think about that idea of being ashamed, at the same time, none of us want to be uh, degraded or put down at all, especially not by those that we love and we care about. And uh, I want us to focus that and turn that toward our Creator and toward Jesus Christ. And this is a very important and I think emphatic passage on that in Romans chapter 1. So let's open our Bibles. Let's go to Romans 1. We're going to read verses 14 through 17 and draw out some observations. Slow down there and just, again, look at what the text is saying us. And then we'll make some application from what we read here. And you're probably very familiar with some of these verses here. They come to heart. You can maybe even quote verse 16. But let's read this. Look at verse 14. And what the Apostle Paul says, he says, I am under obligation. In other words, the Greek word means I am indebted. And so he says, I'm under obligation, I'm indebted both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Listen to this, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It makes you think, why would you need to say that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel and preaching and and to speak the gospel to the nations. Think about that. All right, let's keep going. Look at verse 17, the last verse there. 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith unto faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Alright, let's slow down for a moment and think about what's been said here and what we're reading and put it in a fuller context as well. So the Apostle Paul says he's obligated, he's indebted. Of course he is. And I think he's implying a little bit more here because he has the blood of Christians on his hands and he's persecuted the church. You can read more about that in Galatians chapter 1. And then he says, I'm indebted to anybody throughout the nations, whether Greeks or barbarians, whether they are wise, and that would probably be an appealing compliment toward uh, the the Greek-minded, the Greek-speaking individuals, those who are more like philosophers. And then he says, my translation says foolish, but the word means they're those without understanding. And then he says this, when he says preach there, it's the Greek word uangelizo, which is where we get the word evangelize from. And what it means is, again, to proclaim or to preach and to speak. And he says, I'm indebted to this, to all the nations, no matter who, whatever their understanding or their background is, to speak to them the gospel. And we see that with, with examples throughout the New Testament, that Christ spoke to the woman at the well, that the gospel went to, uh, that Christ spoke to the, the man, the teacher, Nicodemus. It didn't matter their status or where they're from or what their background was. If he could speak the truth to them, he would. And he wouldn't let anything hinder that. He wouldn't think, well, they've got too many sins in their background, or they've got too many accomplishments, and they're too well connected in Jewish society society and leadership, they're not going to listen to the truth. He didn't reason in that way, and Paul didn't do that either. And so we see this. He says, I'm indebted to preach the gospel. And he's all the things in his background to evangelize to the nations, whether Greek or barbarian. And I think a thing that stands out to me that's fascinating here is he uses that same word again for preach, to evangelize, and he says it toward the church. He says, I want to come to Rome. And I want to evangelize to you. To who? To the saints, to the Christians. He calls them saints, to the holy ones, to the beloved of God. He says they belong to Jesus. If you look at verses 1 through 4 there. And he says to those in Rome, and maybe you never thought of it that way, but he says, I want to evangelize to the church. I want to evangelize to other Christians. Why would we do that? Usually when we think of evangelize, we think of sharing the gospel message with those who are lost. Not those who are already saints and beloved of God in the church, but that's exactly what he says. And I think there's good in this. I would encourage you in this, that you need to surround yourself with Christians, those you can talk to about your faith, because when you can talk to those in your family and your friends and those in the church about what you believe, and you can teach the truth of it, and you can read Scripture, and you can reflect upon it, and you can ask questions which is the reason why we have our Bible studies and Bible classes and gatherings together, is to encourage that. Then you can talk to others. You know, sometimes we say, I'm, I'm just not very good at evangelizing or sharing my faith with other people and speaking about it. Well, you need practice at it. And where's a good way to get practice? With other Christians. Just to talk about and to hear yourself say what you believe in. I believe in my God and Creator. I believe that He sent Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And I believe in the Gospel. And I believe in the Holy Scriptures. And this is why. And this is what I think. And and to have that discussion, it gives you strength and ability to do that. And if you're like me, there are some times where I've been talking to somebody and I really feel like I should have said something there. I should have offered to pray with them. I should have mentioned God. I should have done something to direct them in the, in the right way. And if we need more practice of that, go to your brothers and sisters in Christ and do that. And Paul here, I think another thing is, is when the word evangelize means to speak good news. 
in the word evangelism, you have the Greek word evangel. And evangel, E-V means good, and angel, we usually think of a messenger of God from heaven, but angel means message. It means good messenger, and we'll say the gospel means good news. We need to be able to speak of the gospel in a way that is good news, because it is. It gives us joy. It causes us to reflect. And so Paul says, because it is a great message, and it is a message that needs to be evangelized, I'm not ashamed to preach the good message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he's now using the noun form, gospel, the noun form of the verb. The verb for gospel is evangelize, to gospel, to, to take it as, to thinking of it as an action, to gospel, to evangelize, to share that truth. And we need to be able to do that, and we need to not be ashamed of it. And there are some things that go along with that that helps us that's present here in this text and some other things I want to look at and think about this morning. But I want us to be able to say as Christians, just like Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What does that mean? What does it mean that I'm not ashamed of the gospel? And what does that imply? And what is, how does that affect my life? There's so much more to this. A few other observations here from just reading these four passages. Christians, again, should not be ashamed of evangelizing and speaking the truth to one another. And with that basis, we can now, again, like I mentioned before, speak to each other. But listen to this. I love this description here of the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news of, of, of Jesus Christ for us? And Paul says that it is the power of God. And the Greek word there is dunamis, which means, um, which is derived to the word for dynamite and other words that we use in the English language. And the idea is that there's great power in it. And it's also translated as ability. So God has the power and ability to save us. How do you do it? By what means? Through Jesus Christ. Through the message being spread throughout the world. By the act of evangelizing. This is the power of God unto salvation to sa- save humanity. So those who believe... When we hear the gospel, we're not ashamed of it because we believe what it is, is the power of God of salvation. It's the power of God of salvation to all who believe. And we need to look at the Bible and look at the gospel and the message of Christ just in that way. You want to be saved? You want to have a good life now and you want eternal life? You want to resurrect on the last day? You've got to look at the gospel as this is God's power. Do you hear that? When you hear the gospel, is it powerful to you? Does it affect your heart? Does it convict you? It makes me excited. I thank God that I get to do this very thing that I'm reading about right now this morning is to evangelize and to speak the gospel. Because when I get to do that, it gets me very excited. It strengthens me and it encourages me. And I thank God that I have the blessing of doing that. And so he goes on to all to believe that the, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And then he's emphatic about this, quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, this statement that the righteous shall live by faith. And it's by faith that we trust in God's word, that God makes us right with him. And it's by faith we're able to live a righteous life. If you're not trusting in God, believing in the gospel, and trusting in Jesus Christ, you're not going to live a, a righteous life. And someone might say, well, I know someone who's a good person, but they're not a believer. Or they do this or they have a different religious belief. And they may be, generally speaking, a very benevolent person. 
But what the Bible says is that they will be corrupted by sin. They will be in a state in which their life they live in rebellion. They could be living in rebellion of sin even by the things that they do. Putting themselves and boasting themselves and putting themselves as a, as a God to be marveled beside the Creator. Uh, to be someone who is to be respected and that they don't need Jesus and they don't, they don't need God. All those things are in rebellion and a sin against Him. And they're wrong. And so you can take things like that and twist it. You can read more about Jesus talking about that in John chapter 15. But think about this and ask yourself, am I ashamed of the gospel? Am I ashamed for family and friends to pray? Am I ashamed to thank God? Now sometimes we might say, well, I don't sometimes like to pray because I'm not very good with words. Okay, I think that's a little bit different. You're not saying there that you're ashamed, you're just not prepared yet. But I think that you want to work on that. You want to focus on that and not have any shame in it. And to begin to pray. And if we pray on our own and pray with others that are around us, we'll get that encouragement to be able to thank God, to speak of Him, and to speak of our Creator. Now, I also want us to think about this. Paul says there, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Why would he need to say that? Why would he need to say that to the church there in Rome? Why is he emphatic about that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to preach it. I'm not ashamed to go anywhere to any nation in any place and speak the truth. And I hope that we would say the same thing. Why would someone be ashamed? And I think a lot of it has to do with the state of the mind and what the world tells us. The world wants us to be ashamed. I'll come back to that in a moment. What I love in Romans, in the very beginning, you start beginning in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, which was our scripture reading. You get... a a picture and a summary of the gospel. A creedal statement of our faith that Romans begins with and that Paul is building on here. And he tells us what the gospel is. And he says again, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. I've been called to be sent out. That's what apostle means. Called to be a missionary of the gospel. He says, I'm set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised. Notice this. Here's a summary of the gospel. The gospel of God which God promised. When did He promise? Through His promise. Through His prophets. Where? In the Holy Scriptures. About what? It's about His Son. Concerning His Son. And what about Him? He is the King and the descendant of David, it says, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God. There's that word again. In power. There's the gospel. Jesus Christ comes. He's the Son of God. He's declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. What did the Spirit of holiness do? We read other passages that tell us that it's the God's Holy Spirit by which Christ rose from the dead. It says, in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God is declaring Jesus to be the Son of God because He rose from the dead. That really gets down to the heart of the Gospel, the basis which we believe, that gives us hope. And Jesus conquered death. That He lived a holy life. That He provided a way for us to live. And that He rose again on the third day so that we will rise on the last day. That's the hope of the message. That should stir us and strengthen us. We should see the power of God in that. But I think many do not. And beyond that, we begin to build upon the gospel and build upon the scriptures and what else is mentioned in the Bible. And some people are ashamed of what they read about and they want to alter it and change it. I believe the world wants us to be ashamed of the gospel. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 and verse 24, it says that the world thinks, the people think it's foolishness. They think, oh, that someone would be crucified to save us, that he would die on a cross to save us. The world says it is foolish. They want us to be ashamed of what we believe in. I remember notable atheist Richard Dawkins putting out messages all over London and throughout England to shame Christians. He told the atheists who listened to him who who didn't believe in God, and he he would say, you need to shame Christians. Make them feel stupid and foolish for the things they believe in, the fact they believe in God. This is what's being taught. This is what a lot of individuals do. You see this as a part of Muslim culture. To shame people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they'll tell you, no, Jesus isn't the Son of God. He wasn't even really crucified. Um, And the basis of what they're saying doesn't even stand in history. We know that Christ was crucified. We know Jesus died upon the cross and was crucified by Pontius Pilate. Anyways, we have individuals in the world trying to shame us. And sometimes you feel that pressure. Even here in the United States, we have a lot of people telling us, be quiet, shut your mouth, don't talk about God before others. Are we going to allow that to influence us? Is that going to impact us so that oh, maybe I should be ashamed of what I believe in. Maybe I am a fool. Maybe the things I was taught growing up is foolishness. What does the Bible tell us? Peter says, remember in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, he says, be ready at all times to to give a defense of the hope that is within you. To give reason for why you believe in what you believe. And it's worth your time and study. You want to be able to have no shame in speaking the gospel. To be like Paul, we've got to know what we believe in. We've got to be able to defend it in a reasonable way. And it's worth our time and, and meditation upon the Bible and the Scriptures. And if you feel a weakness in that, it's going to take you prayerfully reading the Scriptures and thinking of how to speak and, and talking with your brothers and sisters in Christ about it. The righteous shall live by faith. We go on a little bit further in Romans. It's the righteous shall live by faith. And then it says there that the wrath of God is revealed against those who are not devoted, the ungodly, and God's wrath is against the unrighteous. And it begins to tell us there, we've looked at this before in Romans chapter 1, about the undevoted and unrighteous, that they suppress the truth. They do it by the unrighteous way that they live. They do it in wicked living. And why are they suppressing the truth? Because it says here that God, in Romans, it says, God has made it plain to them that He exists. Through what has been created in the creation. And we should be able to look at the creation and say, look, look at the design. Look at how fine-tuned it is. Look at the lives that we have been given to us and the beauty of the creation in which we live. All these things have meaning and purpose. They're from our Creator. God has made it clear His attributes that all of creation had a beginning and came into being from that supernatural, all-powerful cause, our Creator. There's no other explanation. The God that did this makes plain His divine attributes, His power, and His deity. And so the Scripture says we're without excuse. It reminds me of Acts chapter 17 where Paul's preaching on Mars Hill. And Paul says, God will hold you accountable for being agnoia, agnostic, ignorant of who God is. He said on the day of judgment you will have no excuse for that. And then he goes on here and he speaks about those who are ashamed, who are suppressing the truth. He says, while they knew God, they don't honor or thank Him. In other other words, they don't worship Him. They don't speak of Him. They don't love Him. They don't adore Him. 
And they would never honor or thank Him. And so this, the Bible says they become foolish in their thinking. That's the world around us trying to shame us. But the world's done this before. Christ endured it. They tried to shame Him. I want to share with you a passage from Hebrews 12 and verse 2. If you're not familiar with it, go over there and read it. And we know the context, the mockery, and what Christ endured in the four Gospels. As He was beaten and whipped and scourged, as He bore His cross as far as He could, when He hung by nails on the cross for six hours, they tried to shame Him in every way possible. Oh, He's guilty. He's a blasphemer. He claims to be the King of the Jews. He deserves to die. He's a, he's a rebel, rebel against the nation of Israel. They tried to shame Him. What does the Scripture say? Look here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Remember Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. And you have examples of people who live by faith. And God calls upon them as the writer of Hebrews and says, they are witnesses to us. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Why? Because we have the example in Jesus. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of the faith. What does that mean? He is Jesus, the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the foundation of the faith and he's the pinnacle of the faith. He is the perfecter and the foundation. And it says, and listen to this, I think this is amazing. When you think about Jesus enduring the suffering that He endured and the things that He went through, when He hung upon the cross, would you describe it as a place of joy? Would you describe it in that way? I wouldn't think of it that way. I I see Him going through a lot of horrible things, a lot of suffering. But it says here that Christ did it, He says, for the joy that was set before Him. What joy? It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Sometimes we go through suffering for the end result, the joy. And here it was Christ overcoming death, overcoming sin. And I love the description here that fits in with our message. He despised the shame. You know who was crucified in the Roman Empire? Those who weren't Roman citizens. Those who were slaves. Those who were in rebellion. Those who were to be shamed. That's what the cross was meant to be. A sign of shame. It says he endured the cross, despising the shame. For what joy? Because now he is seated at the right hand at the throne of God. It's a good summary of the book and subject to the book of Hebrews. I think about this as we look at the shame. We have the example of Christ of overcoming shame. How many have compromised the gospel because they're ashamed of it? You can turn on the TV and you can listen to a lot of different preachers. And I think about this myself and I reflect upon it. Am I going to change a part of the gospel because I'm ashamed of it? Am I going to ignore a part of the Bible and the Scriptures because well, it might embarrass me or that other people might think different of me? We need to reflect upon that. How many have compromised the gospel for that? And many have. Some will never talk about the truth of the gospel. For that. Let's, let's be very specific right now. I think there are many that are ashamed of baptism. You hear that? The teachings, they're ashamed of it. Oh, I don't, don't need to be immersed into Christ. No, that's not really significant. 
And, and, and they ignore that passage in Romans 6 that says it's in baptism that we're united with Jesus Christ in baptism. They're ashamed of it. And they're ashamed because all of a sudden the gospel becomes real at baptism. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that's the gospel. It becomes real because now I've got to die to my sins, be buried with Him, and, and start a newness of life which God gives me. And they're ashamed of that. Remember the passage in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, where the Pharisees and the lawyers would not be baptized. They rejected the baptism of John because they rejected the purpose of God. And they're ashamed for people today to say, I, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because that's the reality of it. Oh, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I don't really need to make all these changes or to be baptized into Christ. Why? What is it about it? Are you embarrassed to get your hair wet? What is it? What is the shame in it? It's like, I don't believe in the Word anymore. I don't believe in the message. In Colossians 2, the passage tells us by the working of God that God forgives us all of our sins and it's there He makes us alive from baptism, from the burial and baptism. But a lot of people are ashamed of it. They won't teach it. They won't preach it. And we can go through a long list today of things that can be compromised in the Gospel. And we need to examine ourselves and make sure I'm not willing to compromise what is in the Bible. I'm not going to give any of it up. I'm not going to be ashamed of the fact that Christ was crucified, that He was buried and He rose again. And that I need to do the same. And how many preachers and teachers of the Bible have reinterpreted the Bible because they're ashamed of it? I like to go on sometimes on the internet and social media and I'll come across an, some atheists or unbelievers or different individuals talking about uh, what they believe and often trying to shame other people. So to tie it back into the lesson. Um, but what do they do? And what I often hear is they will take certain parts of the Bible. I was listening to a podcast this week where the individuals took a portion of the Bible and they twisted it and they distorted it and reinterpreted it because they didn't like it. They were ashamed of it. But then they twisted it so that they could hide it or put it away. And I see atheists doing that. They'll say things about the Bible that are just outright lies. When you have a discussion with an atheist, things they say about the Bible is not even true. They'll take... A, the perspective of God in the Bible or something about Jesus and they'll twist it so that they can dismiss it and put it aside. And Romans tells us about that as we've read here in Romans chapter 1 and why they do that and why that happens. But when it comes to us as Christians, do we do that? I don't like what the Bible has to say about baptism, what the Bible has to say about repentance, what the Bible has to say about marriage and divorce and remarriage. I don't like what Jesus had to say about those things. I want to ignore them rather than re understand them. I want to change them and alter them. We could go through a long list of things. I don't like what the Bible has to say about elders leading the congregation. I would rather there be a pastoral leader or something like that. I don't like this. I would rather go with a, a different tradition or a different idea. And what are they ashamed of? They're ashamed when it comes down to it, to the gospel, to the Bible, to the scriptures, to Jesus Christ, to the teachings of the apostles and prophets. And we want to be able to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I think very fitting words to to start to wrap up the message this morning is right here from the words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23 to 26. Christ says this, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. All right, that's what it takes to be a Christian. I got to take up my cross daily and follow Jesus Christ. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, that is, take up his cross, for my sake he will save it. So Jesus is saying, You want to be saved? Take up the cross. Lose your life for me. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And, and that's a lot of men. We, we go down our list of what we think success is, and I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this, and the cross and the gospel are not in it, and we put it aside, kind of ashamed of it. And listen to what Jesus says right here. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, whoever is ashamed to take up the cross, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. And I would never want to hear that. Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, go away from me, you who work lawlessness. I never want to hear that on the day of judgment. I never want to be ashamed of Christ and of his words and of the cross. And he says, of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and the holy angels. No more fitting words to begin the conclusion of the, the, the message this morning. That we cannot be ashamed of Christ and the things that he's taught. We cannot be ashamed of the apostles and prophets. And we should be able to say like Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I will speak it and teach it. And I encourage you, have a reasonable faith. A faith that you can understand, that you could speak of and you can talk to with others. So that there's no shame behind it. Is that reasonable faith that it overcomes shame. I know that this universe had a beginning. I know there must be a creator. I know that Jesus lived a holy life and he died upon the cross and his tomb was found empty. I know his teachings and his words make more sense out of the reality than anything else that the whole world has to say. I need to be able to give a reasonable defense of the hope that's within me. Second, Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. This is Paul facing the end of his life and his death. He says, For I... I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that has been entrusted to me. Let's put those words on our heart and never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I encourage you this morning, if you haven't taken up the cross of Christ, do it. Die to yourself. Be buried with Christ in baptism. Arise in the newness of life. Have all your sins washed away. Colossians 2 and verse 13 in the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the words of Christ. Encourage others to seek God out, to seek out Jesus Christ. And if you need to make repentance this morning and you need to do it publicly, we'll pray with you and encourage you. And I encourage you, whatever your needs are, find someone. Find other brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage you, to pray with you, to study with you. And let's continue to follow Christ with courage and strength. Let's stand and sing together.